be to God. Here we are. By the way, BJ pointed out this morning, it was just, I thought, a good thought. There should be a thou shalt not. We're not encouraging to covet or <laughs> just saying. <clears throat> thou shalt not steal. So it's a pretty straightforward uh, commandment this morning. Uh, and at first glance, most of us probably think that this one's really not an issue uh, in our life. Um, but we have all been tempted to take something that isn't ours. Uh, and, and in preparing to cover this, this word of this commandment this morning, uh, I had to ask myself, uh, how deep down this rabbit hole do we really want to go? Um, most of us understand that stealing and theft are a no-no. Um, but do we really need to define this or, or would doing so just insult your intelligence? Um, but when you get past the surface issue of, of just outright theft, um, it becomes evident that this is really a, a basic condition of the human heart that each of us battles in one way or another. Um, have you ever had something stolen from you? When I was uh, 23 years old, my grandmother uh, my mom's mother passed away, and I inherited my grandma's guitar. I was the only grandson in the, or grandchild in the family that uh, played an instrument. And so uh, they asked me if I would like to have it. Of course. Of course I want her guitar. Um, and um, I'm not sure when she bought it, but it was pretty, it was pretty old. Uh, I don't think it was like her first guitar that she ever had, but um, I remember her playing it. And, uh, and so I inherited that guitar, and man, I was really proud of it. I didn't have one of my own. I, I knew how to, how to play the guitar, but I, I, had, I didn't have one, especially one that was that nice. And uh, I remember I went out with uh, my cousin, and I had it in the back of my truck. So I'm the idiot. But I didn't even have it locked up in the cab. I had it in the back of my truck, and I for forgot that it was there. And when I, we had went somewhere, and when we came back out, uh, it was gone. And... Uh, and I was just sick to my stomach. Um, to the thief, they just saw uh, a guitar that they could hawk for a few bucks. Um, but to me, they stole a tangible memory of my grandmother that I still grieve. I have several guitars now, and most of them nicer than that one. But none of them that mean as much. And, and I, never, I never got it back. But I remember how violated I felt and how, how that theft broke my trust and how I looked at humanity with a little more cynicism and suspicion after that day. And those of you that have ever had something stolen can probably relate. Um, the reason we feel violated is that our possessions are actually an extension of who we are. And, and most of us have to work hard for the things that we own. And to have it taken away without our consent feels personal. And it is personal. It's a violation of our space. It's a violation of our property. And it feels like a piece of ourself was stolen. And it's especially hard when it's something particularly uh, that, we, that we particularly treasure or a family heirloom. 
Because that item holds value beyond the monetary value. And the value is the memory that's associated with that, with that item. Um, we lose a piece of our identity through the act of theft. And so the thing about theft is that it's so easy for us to look at someone who's stolen something and call it what it is, stealing. But when it comes to our own lives, I'm always amazed at our capacity to justify our actions. Uh, we don't think of ourselves as thieves. Uh, one common example from corporate America is embezzlement, um, the misappropriation of funds placed in someone else's trust. The interesting thing about almost every person who's ever been caught embezzling money is that they, don't, they never felt like they had stolen something. Um, often in their minds, they were just borrowing the money and were going to pay it back. Um, they had justified their actions, and most often they underestimated how much they had stolen. They thought they'd only borrowed a few hundred dollars when it turns out to be a few thousand dollars. And often when someone's caught in the act of embezzlement, they say something to the effect of, well, I was, I was going to pay it back. Um, and that's what's interesting about human behavior is our ability to justify something outside of its normal boundaries. People borrow money every day. That's not an issue. Um, from banks or from personal loans from individuals, um, that's not a crime. It's, it becomes criminal when you choose to forego the accountability to repay what's borrowed either by a simple contract or written out terms for length and interest associated with repayment of the funds. But left to our own devices, humans, the sneaky lot that we are, um, we tend to avoid accountability for our actions. Uh, we'll almost always look out for number one and do what's best for ourselves and not what's best for others. Accountants love to use the term creative accounting um, or, or one that we all learned in school, finders, keepers, losers, weepers, or the five-finger discount. Uh, the government likes to use the term eminent domain. But it's easy to justify theft when we're doing it. Oh, they won't ever miss it or... The company I work for has too much money anyway. I work hard, and so it's okay if I take a little. Or I deserve it. They don't really pay me what I'm worth. And this is how most Christians rationalize theft. They justify theft in their mind. And then once they've stolen it, their conscience is no longer worried. But let me give you just a few stats on workplace theft. This is from Sherrod.com. Fact number one, or stat number one, amount stolen annually from U.S. businesses by employees, $50 billion. The percent of annual revenues lost to theft or fraud is 7%. Percent of employees who have stolen at least once from their employer, 75%. Percent of employees who have stolen at least twice from their employer, 37.5%. Percent of all business bankruptcies caused by employee theft, 33%. Percent of theft by employees who had stolen ideas 
at work. Ah, 29%. Now, I'm sure most of you are probably still saying to yourself, uh, well, that's somebody else. That's not me. Uh, I would never steal from my employer. Well, let me ask you this question. Have you ever taken pens home from, that your employer paid for? Have you ever taken a ream of paper home to use for personal use? Have you ever used the copier for personal copies and then not paid for them? Have you ever taken other office supplies home for personal use? That's theft, but in our minds right now, we're busy rationalizing how our use of those items is different. I saw an article that said U.S. citizens defraud the IRS to the tune of $458 billion per year. That's billion with a B per year. Now, I'm going to read your mind for just a moment because I've thought this. The IRS is just a bunch of thieving crooks, and they don't deserve my money, and they're not getting any more than they deserve. Well, granted, I don't want to give them any more than they deserve. Um, but when we take what's not ours to take, that's called justification. And we all think because we live in such a free nation that we can justify our actions in our minds and be free from penalty and the consequence of the law. But if you've ever battled the IRS, you know different. Isn't it easy to see the speck in someone else's eye and not see the log in our own? So imagine the Israelites standing at Mount Sinai as Moses is giving them this word. How many worldly possessions do you think they really had? Not much. They're former slaves. This nomadic people who had to travel for 40 years in the desert and set up camp and take down camp and set up camp and take down camp. You learn to travel light. And so they didn't probably, they probably didn't have much, but they had been slaves just three months previous. And as slaves, they surely didn't have many possessions. So we might say to ourselves, these Israelites were in poverty. And the answer to keeping people from stealing is to increase their standard of living. So that they have enough to eat, so that they have a place to sleep and raise their children. If we could just give them a little more money, a little more possessions, a little more stuff, then stealing wouldn't be an issue. But that isn't the case. Because we live in the wealthiest country in the world, and stealing is still, if not more, of an issue. Theft is still big business. And here's the root of the problem. Most often, theft is not about need. It's about greed. It's about our brokenness, and that brokenness is called sin. All of us have this hoarding mentality within us, a mentality that states, I'm going to get my own first. I'm going to take care of number one, me and mine. And if no one's looking, then I'm going to take your stuff too. And it's a sickness that we're born into, and our culture doesn't help. The current American culture is about getting more and more and more and more. And it sells us on the idea 
that we won't be content until we have more. Until we have something that we currently don't have. Until we have the next version or model of the iPhone or the Android. We're sold on the idea that more equals happiness. In such an affluent nation, it's normally not about our need, it's about our greed. We simply aren't content. We've made money and possessions an idol, and at the heart of theft is idolatry. Did you hear that? At the heart of theft is idolatry. See, in our culture, we often worship wealth and possessions over and above God. And we put our trust in our possessions and in our money, and in doing so, it makes those things an idol by its very definition. And by the way, idolatry is on our top ten list as well, and we haven't gotten to it yet. But here's some inside information. It's number two on the list. A misunderstanding of who God is and who we are and who we are built in and a fundamental its definition to the idol, to the definition of idolatry. So when we misunderstand who God is and who we are, then that's built into that definition of idolatry. When you misunderstand who God is and who you are in relationship to him, you will always devolve into idolatry. Idolatry is a confusion about who is most important. An idol is something that takes the place of God, and when we place our trust in something other than God, then that item becomes the idol. Jesus himself stated this in the Gospel of Matthew in a famous sermon that we call the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew 6, 24, he says, No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. It doesn't say you cannot serve God and have wealth. It says you can't serve both. That doesn't mean that you can't make money. Further, it doesn't mean that you can't have a healthy relationship with money. But it does mean, as it says, that you can't serve God and serve money. They can't both be your master. You can't live under the lordship of God and the lordship of money. You have to choose one. God doesn't share allegiance. And Jesus doesn't want a piece of your life. He wants your life. If Jesus is Lord and Master, then every other allegiance will find its proper place. So have we gone from theft and stealing to serving God and money? Well, I think at the heart of theft is the misunderstanding of who we are and who God is. When we steal, we are serving the idol of money and not the creator of the universe. Scripture says over and over again that everything in the heavens and on earth is God's 
and that we are called to be its stewards. So theft and stealing break that stewardship. Theft and stealing is the result of us forgetting who we are. We are stewards of God's good gifts as believers. And when we forget this understanding, we remove God from the number one position to a lesser position in our lives. And essentially, that in itself is stealing from God because he said, I'm to be number one. So we're taking what belongs to him, spot number one, and we're giving it to something or someone else. And that's theft. The prophet Malachi put it this way, Malachi 3, verse 8, Will anyone rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how are we robbing you in your tithes and offerings? God was a little upset with the nation of Israel because of how they treated their money. Their money, their treasures, their stuff. They thought it was theirs. But everything is God's. And they were stealing from God because they were not being generous. They were stealing from God because they were not using God's good gifts in the way that God had directed them to do so. So they had made their own desires and wants for, for the wealth God had provided for them. He provided the wealth, but they had their own thoughts and desires for how they were going to use it. And I know preachers like to quote Malachi when it comes to this. But just so you know, the other prophets of the Old Testament said the same thing. Ezekiel commanded or condemned a king for his idolatry and gaining wealth for himself and forgetting that that wealth was actually God's. And Haggai, which is just two chapters, but it starts with a bang. It says, why are you living in luxurious, luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. Look at what's happening to you. You've planted much, but harvest little. You eat, but you're not satisfied. You drink, but you're still thirsty. You put on clothes, but you can't keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets Filled with holes. Anybody identify? They were stealing from God, but as is the case most often, it never satisfies. It didn't satisfy them. They weren't content. There was never enough. There is never enough, folks. We will never, ever, ever find satisfaction with Jesus as a passenger on our journey. You'll never find satisfaction in that. If he doesn't sit in the driver's seat, you'll never find satisfaction with him being a passenger. If he's not first in the believer's life, you won't see him in that person's life at all after a while. We may attend church, and we may put on a, a good act for the community, but the evidence of his importance in our life is unmistakable. Our, our priorities show who he is and who gets first chair in the symphony of our life. 
St. Basil said it this way in the fourth century. When someone steals a man's clothes, we call him a thief. Shouldn't we give the same name to one who could clothe the naked and does not? The bread in your cupboard belongs to the hungry man. The coat hanging unused in your closet belongs to the man who needs it. So we see that stealing and theft isn't just in actuality taking someone's property, but also in the keeping of money and possessions that don't ultimately belong to us. In being stingy and not being generous. So as Ellis Ellsworth Callis reminds us, stealing can be both a passive act as well as an active act. How often have we robbed God? How often have we justified our use of money and possessions where, in effect, we've made them an idol and we've broken God's word for us in both the Eighth and the Second Commandment? Robbing God, and I'm not talking about tithes here. I'm talking about his position and his lordship in your life. Robbing God slowly kills our relationship with Jesus. It makes us numb to the people's needs around us. It hardens our heart and it puts a barrier between us and God and between us and our fellow man. And it numbs our conscience. Church, it's time for us to go from theft to generosity. So how do we do that? Well, first we have to understand that everything in the heavens and in the earth is God's and that we're stewards to all that he owns, not to what we own. It's all his. And when we do what the heavenly father calls us to do. We place our life under the authority of heaven and the lordship of Jesus. Jesus calls us to be a people that take action in our use of money and our use of possessions. So we allow the Holy Spirit to transform our heart and convert us from the inside out. And we repent of the theft that we've done by not being generous. Not just out and out theft, but also the theft that we've done by not being generous with what was his to begin with. And we ask Jesus to forgive us. And we ask the Holy Spirit to fill us with the power and the strength to live and to worship Jesus as Lord, to worship Jesus as Lord and not ourselves as Lord. See, none of us can do this on our own. If you could, why gather every Sunday? We're here because we can't do this alone. And I need you guys to help me. And you need me to help you. That's why we're here. And we've talked about how all these commandments, these words from God are communal in nature and they deal with our heart's response to the people around us. And when we go from theft to generosity, then we allow the Holy Spirit to transform our hearts from wanting what's best for us to wanting what's best for those that we actually come in contact with on a daily basis. As a blessed people, 
our desire will be to bless others. Isn't that a better way to live? Not wondering how we can gain more and scheming how to get away with something that we shouldn't, but living generous and displaying Jesus' grace. This is the eighth word for us. You shall not steal. And I pray that we would let it sink deep within our soul this morning. So next steps. Number one might be to identify the areas in which you've robbed God. Where is he second? Where is he third? Where is he fourth? Where is he on down the list? Where have you robbed him? Secondly, we didn't talk about robbing time, but have you robbed God of the time that you should have been spending with him? And then thirdly, where do you need to repent and pay restitution for the things you've stolen from others? One of my favorite uh, analogies that I heard one time was, uh, I think I've used it before, but let's just say Rick has a bicycle and I steal his bike, and I'm like, hey, now I have a bike. All right. And so, but my conscience gets guilty, and eventually, because Rick and I are friends, and I go to Rick, and I say, hey, Rick, I mean, I'm sorry, dude, I stole your bike. And Rick's like, I was wondering where it went. I had it all, like, I had it on the bicycle rack, and the next thing I knew, it was gone. And I'm like, I stole it. And he's like, well, thank you for confessing. We're brothers. He forgives me. And I go, awesome. And then I turn around and walk away, and Rick's goes, where's my bike? And I'm like, I'm going to keep it. I just wanted to confess to you that I stole it. I mean, see, when you, part of, part of grace is repentance, it's confession. But then the other part of that is restitution. And I'm not talking about our salvation. I'm talking about if I've stole something, then I restore it. Just because I've stole something, asked God to forgive me and Rick to forgive me, I still got to give him his bike back. That's the restitution piece as well. Let's pray.